0: Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, and we focus on Magic Arena. We're in the year 2020 now. It's just the start of the year, but there's a lot going on already. And so I've got a returning guest to talk about the past, the present, and the future of Magic. Please welcome back, Alan.
1: Hi, hey everybody. How's it going?
0: Thank you for being on the podcast. Uh, what um, Would you like to promote any of your uh, social media streams and such?
1: Um, yeah, sure. So my Twitch is twitch.tv slash dragosimtg, D-R-A-G-O-S-I-M-T-G. Uh, my YouTube channel, dragosimtg as well. Facebook, same thing. Uh, and then my Twitter is at esportsallen.
0: So when are you going to set up that uh, Snapchat to get the private snaps?
1: Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was in Snapchat forever ago, and I've long since been off that train.
0: <laughs> oh, interesting! Is it maybe just lost its its allure, too much drama, or just wasn't as interesting as it used to be?
1: Yeah, I never, I never, there wasn't, I never really used it all that often. To be entirely honest, it wasn't uh, something that really captured my attention. Instagram might be something I might start up um, as I travel more potentially, but that would be something I might start doing.
0: Yeah. One of my side gigs is that I do work with a lot of social media for clients. So I kind of have to know a little bit about all of them. And so I've got an account um, everywhere. And there's just so many to keep track of if you really want to do social media marketing right. But the short answer, the big ones for most people is, yeah, get a Facebook account and probably an Instagram or Twitter. And then the, the mm-hmm. answer gets longer and longer. But yeah, there's... Yeah wherever you want to uh, meet your audience you'll if you cultivate it you know twitch could be the only network you're on and that's where you're you're famous at or or youtube or whatever so it's wherever you put your and your efforts in that will work
1: yeah right now thankfully twitch is kind of the big the big focus i would like to start to do youtube a little bit more consistently but then twitter is where um a lot of my personal and professional life kind of intersect with some of my other stream stuff so um definitely something that that's, uh, that's another, you know, avenue where I'm spending a lot of time is Twitter.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, A previous guest of the podcast that I just had on, we were talking about Twitter. And I had talked about the the use of lists to kind of organize Twitter. Do you ever use lists?
1: Um, No, not not really. No, I haven't really thought about doing anything like that. A lot of what I do on Twitter for the most part is if I'm at a, an event for work, um, usually just to promote that, but mm-hmm. then otherwise I use it as a, a contact method for, um, some of the, uh, college coach clients that I work with, mm-hmm. um, uh, for my, for my job. So, uh, that's just, uh, that's a lot of what I use it for, but, sure. and then it also does intersect with some of the things I do in magic as well too.
0: Cool. So. I I just kind of recommend that to think about that if you want to. So the big purpose of the Twitter list is just to separate accounts into different sort of like little folders where you can keep up to date with whoever you put into that list. So it might be mm-hmm. useful that you put in like those that are the coaches in one list and those that are the players in another list. And that way you're seeing yeah. their tweets focused on just those uh, those organizational units instead of the regular Twitter timeline where it's everything all at once, you know, including, you know, if you keep up with news or you keep up with whatever, it's all intermixed. So thinking about putting things into lists might help you out in the long run.
1: Yeah, that's actually a very good idea. Actually. I think I never, I never really thought about that, but that's actually a very good idea. I'll probably have to do that.
0: Yeah. That's just a tip from a social media marketer. Nice. I appreciate it. Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks for being on the show. We were chatting a little bit off the mic about our year so far. Did you make any sort of like New Year's resolutions in the world of Magic or Esports?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think for one of the big ones that I wanted to try to strive for this year was to consistently hit Mythic Mm -hmm. uh, in in Arena and then maybe later in the year, try to make a run at the Rivals League. Um, I would love to like, it would obviously it would be a dream for me to be like in the MPL and being able to compete on that state, that kind of level of stage. Um, but at least to start, you know, hitting mythic consistently every month. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, and then like I said, maybe try to hit, um, the rivals league at some point later down the line.
0: Oh, very cool. Now, would you be focused on constructed or limited mythic? Uh,
1: probably constructed, um, at this point, uh, depending on what comes up with the next couple of sets, uh, did well really heavily determine i guess that route for me i mean constructed is kind of where my background lies and that's where my my strengths really lie um but i've been playing a lot of vintage cube um and drafting a whole bunch so Mm -hmm. it might be something where if this new these next upcoming uh couple of limited um formats are very good then maybe that might be where i focus
0: Mm -hmm. well so 2019 was a pretty big year for Magic. You could probably argue that it's, uh, yet again, one of the biggest years of Magic. Magic seems to be really rolling along a good path of more growth, more visibility. Um, There was just a lot to talk about regarding Magic in 2019. Um, Any general thoughts that you want to uh, cover about uh, Magic, Magic Arena in 2019?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that 2019 was a really great year like you like you had said there's a lot of big things that they had done um the wizards had done for the game of magic as a whole uh and for Magic Arena uh, as well too. Uh so yeah, very very exciting stuff and I think that uh, I we just had the um the January state of the game come out today uh hmm. for for Arena and kind of what they had planned on the horizons for 2020, and the things that, from what they had said, um, that was on the, the development roadmap, um, everything in there was slated for 2020 in, tentatively, um, and things of that nature included things like um, Cube Draft and Pioneer remasters and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of really great things to be coming up, but they've made a lot of great strides in um, in just the game of Magic in the past year, for sure.
0: Hmm. I pride myself on being organized already for the podcast but you just blindsided me there's a new state of the beta which i've got to go read but no we got to do this podcast first so i'll get to it but that's very cool so good it sounds like um the transparency of the company within the game i think you could argue that it's uh, both sides of the coin that they could be more transparent on one aspect, but they're very transparent on another aspect. I think it's it's on an even keel. I think things are good that they do these these monthly state of the games, that they release info as necessary, and that they seem to listen to community feedback. So, getting good feedback from the community to then improve the game, I think everyone wins that way. Yeah,
1: I, I've actually been very surprised at some of the, or not surprised, I should say. I think I've been I've been very pleasantly. Uh, or I've been very happy with the amount of um, responsiveness that they've been giving to the community um, and the amount of feedback that they take from the community and actually implement it into the game um, and take the ideas and run with them in Mm -hmm. in the best way that they can. Um, It's not every day that you get a developer that... Is willing to make those concessions when and you know, and, and admit when they yeah. have made a mistake, and the community knows, you know, kind of what's the better way to go. And Wizards has done a very good job of that so far this year.
0: Mm-hmm. From a gameplay point of view, did you ever try out the Elspeth versus Ashiok event that they had a little while ago? Oh
1: man, did I? Um, <laughs> I oh man, I, I I popped on, I was actually one of the out of my friend group um, who play arena, I was the first one to, um, to see the event, and then to look at the deck lists for the event. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this it was kind of it was coming off of the when I got to look at it, it was coming off of me finishing a vintage cube draft. Yeah. And man, I, I love vintage cube. So seeing things like Black Lotus, Mox Sapphire, Mox yeah. Um, Mox Jet, Ancestral Recall, Soul Ring, all in the same on on Magic Arena um, really got me excited for what potentially they have coming up in the future uh for for the game. Um, just because the I love vintage is probably one of is my favorite competitive constructive format um of all time, just because of the you know, the very Detailed and in depth lines of play, and the mm-hmm. crazy powerful things you can do. And then, and, and I guess adjacent to that is Vintage Cube. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Vintage Cube. So seeing that on Arena got me super jazzed.
0: Yeah, I think it really showed the possibility of what can be done with the client. I know that it mm-hmm. really feels like it's just focused on standard and. You know, you can do cool things in standard, of course, but when you have a larger card pool to work with, there's just so many more possibilities. So when I jumped in and played, I played the, I pretty much played the Ashiok deck and I don't remember how many days this event was open. It, it felt like it was a little too short. It was definitely less than a week, wasn't it? Maybe just like three days or something?
1: Yeah, it was, it was probably, yeah, between like four days to a week at the most, if, if it was a week, but yeah, it did feel kind of short.
0: So when I play that Ashiok deck, I didn't really go through the deck list very much. I thought, well, it's just going to be like these Planeswalker decks, you know, these $20 Planes right. decks that they sell. And then uh, I was uh, I was actually on stream the first time that I was playing it. And uh, then, you know, I got that first fan of seven cards and it's like, this is a Mox in my hand. And I'm like, yeah. wow. So then I, as I then looked back through the deck list, I saw there's a Black Lotus in here. So mm-hmm. um, someone had commented online that it's like, this, uh, this is like people, many people's or most people's exposure to playing with power nine cards. They're just so yeah. mythic for most people. You hear about Black Lotus. You hear about the Moxin. You hear about Ancestral Recall and that, you know, th- those, are, those cards are so powerful. They're just not in the game anymore uh, to the average person. And playing them on the digital client and having the animation and just being able to do things with that power nine is like people, people can see why they're called a power nine.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah when i when i actually saw when i played the event for the first time i looked because whenever they have those kind of like um those pre-constructed events i always look at the deck list before i jump into any games just because i want to get an idea of what's actually going on mm-hmm. with the decks and i looked at it and i'm like oh okay cool there's like you know some new cards from theros beyond death and there's some old like, theros cards there's like heroes downfall and then i looked over to the left or I, i'm sorry i looked at the lands and i saw underground sea i was like wait a minute that's not that's not a thing hold on a second then i looked to the far left of the screen and then i saw the moxes and the lotus and the Recall and i was like oh my goodness this is actually happening um and then i was like okay cool okay so this is cool let's go to the other deck and let's see what's in the other deck and i saw oh gosh there's soul ring sword of fire and ice um like there was some like very powerful Mox uh, Mox uh, Pearl and stuff was in there. Black Lotus is like, oh my goodness, there's some incredibly powerful cards in these in, mm-hmm. in these decks. Like, what are they doing? And I remembered, on the horizons is Cube Draft, mm-hmm. and I thought, man, if they could do Vintage Cube in Magic Arena, I would never have to touch Magic Online ever again. <laughs> I would just be on Magic Arena. 100% of the time yeah. never touch it just vintage cube drafting pretty much all day every day mm-hmm. uh, on arena because that would be sad, that would make me so happy but I was thinking about what they could be doing with the cube drafting thing um, and I have a few ideas about what they'd be doing there but I don't know yeah. if it's vintage cube but which makes me kind of sad but I there's a few <laughs> things they could definitely be doing with the cube
0: sure did you manage to pull off any amazing turns with uh, with those uh, power cards?
1: Yeah, I think I was. It was actually with the. I have to remember what was in the um, in the deck list. Um, um, but it was essentially like turn, like it was like turn one. Oh yeah, yeah. It was with the Elspeth deck. It was turn one, land Mox Lotus um soul ring into uh into the sword and a creature Mm -hmm. and then turn two i was able to equip an attack and like i the game the basically the game ended yes like it was it was pretty insane like i just dumped my hand on the table uh and and then kind of proceeded to go off and from the other side like on the elspeth side i think i got a turn was elspeth five or six mana or not, Elspeth. I'm sorry, Ashiok. Ashiok. Ashiok.
0: Um, I don't recall, but I think they were both up there in the five or six range. That's why I thought this is just going to be a walker deck.
1: So the Ashiok was five mana. So yeah, I think I remember doing like a turn one Ashiok <laughs> um, with like land, landmarks, lotus, um, Ashiok, and that was that was pretty, pretty backbreaking.
0: Yeah, because then right away you get to create those little nightmares, those little two, three nightmares that when they block or attack, they do their mill.
1: Right, you're right, exactly. So you get to kind of start that value train a little bit, uh, or actually much, much earlier yeah. um, than you normally would, mm-hmm. which uh, yeah, which was pretty insane. Um, mm. I was say, but that's why I love Vintage. That's why I love Vintage Cube. Um, being able to do something absolutely ridiculous in Vintage <laughs> Cube, is like turn one... Um, Land, dark ritual, Lotus, Mox, um Ashiok, or sorry, not Ashiak, the Liliana of the Veil and the Dark Confidant mm. on turn one and just like kind of you know, grind out, you know, your opponent's hand and gain value from your from your dark confidant and stuff. Yeah. Like that's the kind of stuff I love. Just doing some like incredibly powerful turn one and turn two plays.
0: Yeah, that's isn't that the format that, you know, you could be dead by turn three if things don't go right?
1: Oh yeah, very. I mean, very much. So you could be dead on. You could be dead on turn one. To be entirely honest, and yeah. let's <laughs> let's <to> be real.
0: <laughs> yes, I don't recall doing anything really amazing, but it felt really cool to play the zero cost artifact. You know, the mocks. It felt really cool to play one to pay one blue mana, draw three cards with no mm-hmm. restrictions at all. Because I'm more used to playing with brainstorm when I was playing back mm-hmm. in the '90s. Back with Ice Age, they tried to fix, uh, mm-hmm. ancestral recall with. Um, brainstorm, right? One blue, draw three, put two back. Well, here is draw three, keep them. That's it. Uh, right. So that was really cool. Um, what my opponent did do sounded very similar to what you did, or what my opponent did sounded um, sounded very similar to what you did in terms of they they did they're also basically dumped out their whole hand and they managed to summon the Cavalier of Dawn on turn one. So oh, there's wow. that four, six, uh, turn one. And I think they even, they might have had then the ability to, you know how the... Cavalier can then destroy something and make a 3-3. I think they even went as far as doing that. So they had two big creatures by the first turn. And that just shows the power of the power nine. I guess they named it well.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. The one thing I've always thought about the power nine that was interesting was why all of the non-artifact cards were in blue. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like what was so special about blue? And they literally, they just made blue the most powerful color in, in the game because of that at the time. Like, yeah. which was is, is very very interesting cuz like looking at comparatively what the rest of the cards in the in like alpha um and beta were doing uh they were definitely not on the same level as blue so you kind of uh, almost felt like you had to play blue back then but yeah. i don't know I, I i back then that was kind of before well not before my time i should say but that was like i was 3 years old i think <laughs> or 4 years old when when magic came out so it was definitely not something that uh I would have been, I would have been involved in. So I had no idea what that was like back then.
0: Yeah. It it was sort of also revealed simply in, in the boon cycle, you know, the one mana for three result Blue's got Mm. the one blue for three cards. Black has got the one black for three mana. Red has got the one red for three damage. Green has got the one green for plus three, plus three on a creature. And then white has gained three life.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, like arguably like the three cards feels the best. The three damage and the three mana are very close seconds, and yeah. the rest of them are kind of just yeah. kind of eh. But it's like, yeah, like I think benchmarking affects the cards are
0: so much more impactful. Yes. How did your streaming in twenty nineteen go? Um, overall,
1: not too pretty good actually. Um, had a few really solid days of streaming, kind of overall. Um, I was always I was a part of every magic um streamer preview event for mm-hmm. arena um i actually i think the first um the the streamer preview events i think started they started with the ravnica sets i think the um, the what was the first ravnica set guilds of ravnica oh yeah it was it was guilds of ravnica mm so was that was that twenty was that twenty nineteen? That was late twenty
0: eighteen. Yeah, I was taking a oh, look okay. at all the sets released. Uh, Ravnica Allegiance was the first of twenty nineteen. So
1: okay, yeah, yeah. So with the Guilds of Ravnica, I, so that's when the Streamer PvP events started, and I started. I actually got to do the first one, mm-hmm. and I've been doing each of them ever since they they've been doing them. So yeah, that's been that was always fun getting to to participate in that event. It's always a great time to be able to really get a. a I don't know if it's a competitive leg up, but it's definitely, uh, you know, good to be able to get to do some early testing with some of the cards in, in
0: Constructed. Sure. Let's take a quick uh, segue to to thank Wizards of the Coast. I was in that uh, streamer event as well. I started with, uh, with War of the Spark. Um, oh, okay. So you must have seen there the evolution of it. Um, it was probably less people in the beginning and more people being added, and we'll get to it into more detail, but we are revealing that we are both part of the Theros Beyond Death early access streamer event.
1: Yes, very exciting. Um, next, or I guess it will be uh, the fifteenth of uh or actually yeah, it would be the fifteenth of, of uh, January, which um, I assume by the time this comes out, it will be afterwards. Um, after that, but it will still be uh, we're, you know, getting hooked up with some awesome um, preview accounts from Wizards and getting able to being able to play with all the cards, uh, you know, as <clears throat> as much as we want in a 24 hour span. So mm-hmm. I'm very excited, very, very excited to do some testing.
0: Yeah. Pulling back the curtain to the listener. We are recording a little bit in advance, so we're recording before the event, but the listener will hear it after the event. So let's talk about it in the past turn in the past sure. Uh, let's talk about it in the past tense. It was an amazing event, wasn't it? We did such great stuff on that event, right?
1: Oh man, yeah, very. You know the you know great merchant of Asphodel uh, <laughs> getting reprinted into Theros was an absolutely blowout uh, in a lot of my games. Mono black devotion is so good. Uh, very exciting uh, <laughs> that it is coming back, and it was one. Of, it was one. Of, Theros was one of my favorite times of Magic. I was playing a lot of competitive Magic on the SCG uh-huh. circuit. In paper, I was working for a game store and got the opportunity to travel the Midwest a bit. Um, And so Theros has a very special place uh, in my heart Mm -hmm. um, for for competitive magic. So yeah, it's really cool to see some cool uh, themes and reprints come back.
0: Mm -hmm. I wasn't playing during that time, but various guests have been on the show uh, talking about that that's when they started or got back into magic and it seems like kind of cyclical. There's it sort of feels like there's generations of people that played magic uh, that they started at a certain point when they were much younger then they stopped for a little while for various reasons and they got back into it and then um, they, people just take time off and such. So uh, Theros, like you're saying, it, it, it is formative, it is memorable to you and it's cool to kind of see a return to it with a new twist.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was also even playing... So I was I started um, kind of like when we we had talked about this kind of in the last episode or last time I was on. Um, I started playing in 2010 when Rise of the Eldrazi um, and the Zendikar block was the original Zendikar block was um, around. And so I've actually seen the return to Zendikar. I've seen the return to Theros. I've seen the return to Innistrad, mm-hmm. and I've seen the return to Ravnica twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing and and, and every time they do a return to series for, you know, any of those, um, any of those blocks, because those were kind of the primary blocks, um, and, and, and planes that, um, I was used to and basically kind of grew into magic with. Um, I'm always excited to see them come back with what are they going to do to, um, you know, to bring a new life to these planes. Mm -hmm. Um, and what do they bring back from the old sets that were, um, or from the previous times we were on these planes and, um, to <clears throat> bring some th- that nostalgic feel back to the game, and, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to kind of see that as time has progressed with Magic um, over the last, call it ten years, <clears throat> um, power creep and and mm-hmm. uh, like things like that, like seeing how cards become progressively more powerful, and what it, it be, it's interesting to see what Wizards R and D has deemed to be powerful enough to put into a standard set now versus. Mm-hmm. When we were looking at 10 years ago
0: yeah and they have then the tools to kind of smooth things out because great merchant of asphodel was a common and now it's uncommon
1: yeah very true very true it's actually interesting that they decided that that was the card to bring back um because i don't think that there was any i don't think there was any well, i guess banishing light was a re- is a reprint and that was in um original theros i believe um but like that great merchant of asphodel was the kind of the standout keynote card of mm-hmm. the set for the most part for a lot of people. Um, it would, it just got to do some of the most powerful things beyond like because at the time we had Thoughtseize um, was printed in Theros, mm-hmm. original Theros. And so being able to go turn one Thoughtseize and then turn, you know, turn two, play a Packrat, turn three, Heroes Downfall, your opponent's creature, mm-hmm. turn four, play a Desecration Demon, and then turn five, play a Grey Merchant and drain your opponent for yeah. um, for like six. It was a very powerful line and a lot of the times your opponent just could not answer that the life swing was too great the desecration demon being a 6 6 for 4 was a very powerful creature at the time and it's just yeah it was the so great gray merchant of asville had a very very strong presence in a lot of people's minds so it's interesting that was the card that decided okay we're going to let this back into the standard format yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm cool with it
0: yeah yeah I never played it but when uh, so I've done some commander in in real life and Uh, There was Mm. someone in the play group that was mentioning, well, you seem to like uh, Demir decks or Orzhov decks. You should really look into this card called Grey Merchant of Asphodel. And I hadn't really heard of it, but he had been, you know, he had played a little bit longer than me, Commander, and I kinda looked into it and I thought it looks pretty cool. I might add it in at some point. And then now here it is coming to, to standard where you can pick it up again a nice new shiny copy of it with the um with the new border and maybe get it in foil. Because I don't mm-hmm. think it was in foil at that time. A foil were they doing that much foil uh, oh, yeah. at
1: that time. Yeah, they they had foil of every set uh for foil of every card in the set um oh, okay. it, was, it was available to get um mm. and at the time, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. Um, comparing the the two art, let's let's do one more thought on that before moving to the next topic. What do you think about the art on on Grey Merchant, the original one? I thought it was like kind of like this little uh, this little chubby guy that was walking along uh, with his uh, gold and such, and now we've got this like swole guy with even more gold.
1: Yeah, I thought the the old the old art was definitely it definitely felt like. Um kind of more of like a cartoon he felt he, he looks kind of like a like a statue um like a clay statue almost mm-hmm. um but you can definitely tell in the new artwork that he is that it's actually like a person carrying and and the the sacks of gold actually having the, the, the new art having the gold kind of falling out of the corner <laughs> yeah. um you know looks really you know definitely very visually appealing i think magic's art has leveled up a lot over the past you know like maybe five years it's become incredibly incredibly good Mm-hmm. Um, over the last five years, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, not to say the old art wasn't good, but I think that that there's just something about some of the new art that they've been putting into um, these new cards that have that really kind of I know I don't know they strike a chord with me really well. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's definitely some of the best art on on a regular basis. We get hundreds of new pieces of art in this game, and you can't really say that for almost any other game or or medium that you constantly get new mini works of art to enjoy, not only Mm -hmm. great cards and gameplay, but if you're holding these paper cards especially, I've noticed so many details in some of these. Like I see these cards a lot on Arena, but then when I have them in real life, I actually kind of look at them a little bit more and I notice some details. Uh, So that's uh, kind of interesting that this graphic design aspect of the game is uh, can be pretty strong.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, on the next topic, we had four sets that were released to Arena in 2019. That was Ravnica Allegiance, War of the Spark, Corset 2020, and Throne of Eldraine. Now, out of those sets, or if you want to mention any sets that were released in 2019, what were some standouts... Uh, sets or cards or moments that you had from the sets of twenty nineteen.
1: So I think my favorite all around set release of let's so on on arena my favorite set re- release in twenty nineteen was interestingly enough Corset twenty twenty. As much as I like all the I love planeswalkers as a card type, I think I'm I am one of i wouldn't say few but i think i'm in a minority of people who like or love planeswalkers mm-hmm. um but I, I love the planeswalkers as as a as a, cre- as a card type um but corset 2020 for me <clears throat> um hit a lot of very very core um notes of things that i just like to do in magic mm-hmm. um though so for example like the elemental cycle was incredibly fun to play with I built an Omnath commander deck in real life, uh, uh, which ended up becoming a, a really fun lands deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think having a, a couple of very powerful Planeswalkers, a couple of very core pieces of uh, mechanics and gameplay, but having the cards be interesting and more than just kind of vanilla three threes 3s mm-hmm. um, for three, uh, they did a very, very good job with the core set 2020 this year. So I'm, I'm, I think that was probably my favorite digital release. As far as my favorite paper release, though um just because i think the um, the impact it had on the game and the limited experience with it modern horizons was actually Mm. probably my favorite um paper release it Mm. was it was incredibly fun to draft incredibly fun to seal there were some really cool archetypes uh, that you could do in the limited environment and the impact on the constructed formats in you know legacy modern um, vintage and commander uh, you know, it was incredible what some of the cards were were doing and able to do. Um, so yeah, definitely, yeah, Modern Horizons was great.
0: The Corset Twenty Twenty, um, how you said that it wasn't just like plain three threes. It's really cool how they managed to do some reprints plus new cards because back when I first played Magic, uh, the core set back then was fourth edition. So, you know, it was the fourth Mm. iteration of the core set. And back then, it was all completely reprints. And I think they went into complete reprints until like 10th edition, you know, at least 10 years into Magic's life. And then after yeah. that, they thought, well, let's uh, maybe put in some new cards in here. Not super overpowered cards, but let's put in some new cards because we also want to sell this, this set. Um, so nowadays, the commonality of it is that there are reprints plus new cards. And like you're saying, um, I think you found a lot of... Of interest in it that it wasn't just like here's an intro product they obviously put him in the higher rarities but here's a here's a product for people of perhaps all skill levels to play with um what did you think about like the cycle of chandras in in that set
1: so chandra is one of my favorite planeswalkers of all time i don't know why Mm -hmm. um i back in i guess actually it would have been in the ravnica uh return to ravnica and og theros um era of, uh, of magic which is they were the they were back to back sets. Um, I played a Jeskai Planeswalker deck, uh Jeskai Superfriends with um, Chandra uh, Pyromaster, and uh Jace uh, Architect of Thought and Elspeth Sun's Champion and Thrasios mm-hmm. Eric. Um, and <clears throat> I was always 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 happy to have um, to draw my my Chandra, mm-hmm. uh, when I, and, and play whatever I could, and, and just gain incremental card val- uh, card advantage over with that card uh, with with her. And the new Chandra, um, awakened Inferno, is probably my second favorite Chandra. I think of all time. I think mm-hmm. my favorite Chandra has to be the one from Oath of the Gatewatch or the or, or Battle for Zendikar, whichever it says she was in, which is the six mana one. That made two three ones that attacked and then and then it had a wipe uh board wipe ability and then it had a wheel effect Mm -hmm. um i forget what her what that one was but that that six mana chandra was probably my my favorite chandra and then awakened inferno is like a very very close second Mm -hmm. but the the common on or the uncommon rare chandra uh mythic chandra cycle um kind of as a whole i thought was a very interesting a very flavorfully cool idea and i would love to see them do it again with a different planeswalker
0: that might be the place to do it, because after the reintroduction of core sets with 2019, that was sort of like a, a Nicol Bolas-focused uh, sort of set, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so to then have a Chandra-focused set in 2020, that's cool, and maybe another Planeswalker in, in the next core set, so that might be something to look forward to. Um, that, of course, started off from War of the Spark doing Uncommon Planeswalkers and doing um, Rare Planeswalkers when... When Planeswalkers first debuted, there was only rare Planeswalkers because there wasn't Mm -hmm. a uh, Mythic slot yet. But now, of course, they're all Mythic. And the original Lorwyn have been upshifted to Mythic. So I think it was pretty cool that War of the Spark did that whole new paradigm of uncommon and uh, rare Planeswalkers, especially with static ability. So what did you think about that sort of like revolutionary change about 10 years after the first Planeswalkers?
1: Yeah, the static abilities is definitely a nice, um, a nice iteration on the archetype a bit or on, on the cards, um, card type a bit. Uh, just kind of introducing a new way to, um, really, I guess to kind of build like to build your deck and to really have like it's it just good. I think it's interesting design for sure. Um, what some of those static abilities were uh, definitely questionable for some, <laughs> um, but very very. Cool for other ones. Um,
0: well, not not when you're on the receiving end of like once again, right, Narset yeah. doesn't let me draw <laughs> my card.
1: <clears throat> right, exactly. I mean, I I I loved playing Narset in standard, and and <laughs> I lo- even playing against Narset in standard really wasn't that terrible. Mm-hmm. I found recently that Narset and Commander is so so powerful. Yeah. Um, just like man, I feel like that card should just not exist in Commander at all. But yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Just like being on the receiving end of a of a, of a lock. Piece, yeah, um, is <laughs> is never fun
0: so on the one hand you don't realize how much card draw there is especially in commander but because oh, yeah. it's kind of just so automatic like, okay yeah, I'll, I'll crack a fetch or whatever just do any sort of draw extra card or search for a card and then it's like narset is like nope yeah and then right. on arena you get the the little fun effect and the sound of right. efe- the sound effect and the little uh uh ripple or whatever on her card to remind yeah. you no you can't quite do yep. that <laughs> yep yep uh one uh one thing that I liked doing in uh, you were talking about uh, awakened Inferno and uh, she's not counterable but what you can counter is tails and using tail's end you can counter those abilities so I enjoyed that mm-hmm. even though my opponent was like here's my Chandra you can't deal with her yes I can deal with the activated abilities apparently with with a uh, with a tail's end
1: <clears throat> yeah that tail's end was actually one of those sneaky sneakily powerful cards that um was that i didn't even think about for for brawl for example actually Mm -hmm. um when i was when i was building my my brawl decks i never thought oh man yeah tail's end is going to be actually an incredibly powerful card um in in that format and it ended up becoming really really good the other thing i would say speaking of chandra or of like quote unquote countering chandra even though she can't be countered is um Mm -hmm. uh aether gust aether gust is that the card
0: Y- yeah yeah the what the one with the cow flipping
1: uh yeah the one yeah the one with the cow where you can put the you can basically put the card on top of the library it doesn't mm. counter the spell but it just puts the card from the stack on top of the library so it's kind of like a venter sort of effect where you can remove it from the stack and put it somewhere else so that it's not in play so mm. you just kind of buy yourself a turn yeah um, is, which is kind of interesting it's just like more of these like really interesting design choices in a lot of these cards mm. um yeah just like goes in goes into why like this set as a whole i think was really great um and because that yeah ether was in 20 uh core 2020 Mm -hmm. um and then also just kind of like why like this year they were i felt like they were on point with a lot of the design choices that they made for the cards
0: Mm -hmm. and then so getting back to modern horizons that was a lot of design choices that was like the greatest hits of a little bit of every single set we had ninjutsu um that was the big one there there was snow snow matters in there so mm-hmm. that pulled at my heartstrings because again you know when i played uh back in the day that in high school that was ice age so that's the one of the mm. sets that i really like have nostalgia for even though it's not a really powerful set i just look at the artwork i look at the at the cards and just remembering that gameplay playing with people back in high school and so modern horizons had arkham's astrolabe that uh, apparently was a little bit more pop uh, powerful than people thought especially for popper and just mm. um just some really cool like snow focused cards. Now I wasn't playing when Cold Snap sort of modernized the concept of snow um with the actual like snow symbol of mana sort of thing. And so it was mm-hmm. cool to see the most modern version of of how that classic those classic concepts were around. So any kind of thoughts on what was a one of your favorite uh uh, cards or, or concepts from Modern Horizons. So
1: one of the most, one of the things I love to do the most in magic, um, or like one of my favorite themes is, it's not a good theme by any stretch of the imagination, but it's, uh, it's chaos. Um, I love chaos mechanics. So for example, in or 2020, Golos was my favorite card in 2020, hands down by mm-hmm. a long shot. Um, I actually built a commander deck around Golos, uh, and it was in, you know it's, it's super fun, um, and that's a very much a chaotic um, top of the deck matters uh, kinds of kind of deck. Mm-hmm. Um, in Modern Horizons, to kind of keep on that theme, Urza was mm-hmm. uh, incredibly powerful, uh, you know, just for his ability to make tons of mana for one. Yeah. But the um, effa- effectively the the Mind's Desire effect of the one shot Mind's Desire is shuffle your library. And you can cast, uh, exile the top card of your library, you can cast it for free. Uh, was something that I found really, really appealing and I really, really love. Um, and every time, whenever I'm, I can draft an Urza in, say, like Vintage Cube, I have, uh, if, I, if it's not gonna, you know, if I'm not in like Mono Black Reanimator or something or Mono Green, I, and maybe if I'm Mono Green, I might actually do it, but um, mm-hmm. I usually try to draft Urza because I love that kind of. Um, you know, like top of the library, get a card for free, um, chaotic kind of effect. Like, just mm-hmm. let's just see what happens. Let's roll the dice.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you built a Golos Brawl deck for Arena?
1: Yes, I have. I built a I built a Golos Brawl deck, um, and then and in that, um, obviously because of Golos, I I at the time was playing Field of the Dead. Um, I don't is it, Did they do they ban that?
0: I think they no, it's it. still available in Brawl.
1: Oh, is it? Oh, they okay. So yeah, so it has Field of the Dead. Um, but then I also play, I play a lot of um, friendly brawl, which is like mm. essentially like the historic, historic brawl. brawl yeah. Yeah, so.
0: Let me let me do a quick rant on that. Why did they pick a different name that they've already been using for things? If they're using the term historic for, you know, non-standard stuff in arena, why did they pick friendly brawl? Why didn't they just call it historic brawl?
1: Right, no, I agree with you 100%. I absolutely hmm. agree. I think that that's, you know, for consistency's sake, call it historic brawl. At least it, it it gives a better light to a format that is that has kind of had a or actually I should say to two formats that have had kind of a lukewarm reception um yeah. and introduction into the game. Um and so you know if you can take the two of them together and essentially you're you're kind of getting a uh commander light experience even more than just what Brawl does. Um that I think that, that should have been a you know definitely hundred percent the choice they should have made.
0: Well, speaking, speaking of which, if they had this Historic format that was kind of lukewarm, why didn't they also go back to Kaladesh? I know that that had its own problems, and I hate getting hit by that Beaumat Courier, but um, like adding more cards to the card pool to Historic, I think that would have been a pretty smart choice. Or were they a little too scared of the power level? Um,
1: I think that they might have been a little bit too scared of the power level. Um, but I... I honestly, even even if they didn't go back to Kaladesh, even if they put Amonkhet in yeah. there and stopped at Amonkhet and then maybe skipped over Kaladesh or or remastered Kaladesh and redacted some of the cards. I mean, to be entirely honest, like I think if they just, they can, they can ban cards out of the format. So they yeah. should honestly just say, all right, let's open up the doors to Kaladesh and Amonkhet and let's just go all the way back as far as we can right now. And and just see how the format shakes up, and if things become too powerful, we can ban them out. We can ban out cards. Um, that's fine by me. I'm perfectly mm-hmm. okay with that. Like, I think it would make the format a lot more healthy. I mean, and I was even happy with what we had, it, what we have in the current like historic format. I think playing with some of the cards that we didn't, that we kind of lost in the rotation, mm-hmm. um, made some of the decks a little bit more interesting. But that being said, just having two more whole sets or two more whole blocks worth, yeah, four four full sets worth of cards added into that pool would absolutely spice that format up a ton it would probably make it a well I shouldn't say I, I I don't know for sure if it would make it a better format but it would definitely make it interesting more interesting for sure
0: yeah more cards to play more magic is more good oh yeah I agree so final thoughts on the sets released in 2019
1: yeah I mean I think they I think wizards did a really great job um with what they are what they did with 2019 I think that the flavor and and stuff for so like obviously having the the ravnica sets kind of be uh the big standard focus of 2019 and then going into a very interesting and very flavorful one-off of eldraine um they nailed that one i think that they took the direction of the the Grimm's fairy tale stuff and and whatnot and, and took it to a whole new place um, it was very very well done uh again the art and the design team has done a very stellar job with the sets so far um, and I'm very excited for what they have for, obviously we have seen we have the whole sp- um, Theros spoilers out now mm-hmm. so, and we can kind of see what they've done. And they've done some incredible things with that. And then obviously with Icoria coming up soon, that will be very interesting. I'm very excited to see what they have coming for, um, for that and for core 2021
0: um, as well. Yeah. And then we have a return to Zendikar at the end of the year in 2020.
1: Yeah. Return to Zendikar for the third time, which I'm, I'm, Kind of surprised that it's coming so soon, but I guess it's, I, I don't know. I'm very interested to see what they're going to do because uh, I, if I recall the story for Zendikar, didn't end very well um, from the Gatewatch perspective, but I could be wrong there. I don't remember 100%, but very interested to see what they do going back to that plane again. I mean, are, are and, and also thinking about like going back to planes, are they going to be doing any kind of reprints that are very much needed? Like, mm-hmm. are they going to reprint reprint? They're probably not going to reprint the fetch lands, but <laughs> like, would they reprint the fetch lands again, um, or or not, or what other things are they going to try to put back into it? Are they going to bring the full Al Jazzy suite again um, and and make that a big focus again? What what I, I'm very curious.
0: I believe from like the press release or whatever about that roadmap, um, or maybe Mark Rosewater mentioned somewhere. I think they, they're not really going to do any Eldrazi stuff just because they, mm -hmm. the original outing in Zendikar was, you know, the whole landfall adventure sort of, uh, concept. And then with the first return to, zendikar there was the whole eldrazi uh, storyline and that's wrapped up ish so it seems like unless it's a misdirection that they're not really going to do much eldrazi in in the next uh, zendikar
1: well that i guess that'll be a good uh a good nice change of pace um yeah because there's only so much eldrazi that one one set can you know that we can mm-hmm. take so much of
0: yeah exactly um you're not tired of like a emrakul you know tron mm-hmm. emrakul into it and such anymore
1: i mean i love i love you know cheating big things into play i love you know like you know like i said from the Golis perspective cheating yeah. big eldrazi into play or cheating you know or, or uh sneak attack or through the breach uh in in the cube through things like Emrakul into play and stuff but I think it's uh, I think it's time for some other big like I was actually interestingly enough I was very happy to receive for Theros the return of the Titans um, or, or or like a pseudo Titan series kind of card like effectively mm-hmm. um, like six mana six six when they enter the battlefield or attack has an effect yeah. um, you know like I was very happy to see that and what like I'm very curious as to what they're gonna bring for more of those because they only put as far as I could tell I think they only put two Titans in the set um, in Theros so mm-hmm. I'm curious where the other the other ones are.
0: They might make sense eventually in in Ikoria because that's supposed yeah. to be some sort of monster theme set. They're being very vague about yeah. it, but it's like build your own monster or something, uh, which makes me think of the old Frankenstein card. Did you know? Do mm. you know about that one? Uh, was that was that from like one of the unsets or something? No, that was that was way old. That was from. Let me just send it to you right here. That was from way back in the set, the dark. So that was nineteen ninety four. I never played that card, but let me just send it to you right there. That was like the original build a monster card with these weird counters that were uh, uh, plus plus two plus zero, or plus one plus one, or plus zero plus two. So basically, oh, okay. you can change it up. You can re, re recreate that monster as as you wish.
1: uh that's interesting. Actually, it's a very interesting design. Um, I actually kind of like that. That's kind of like what they 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 did this. Um, Sort of thing again with uh, the Mimeoplasm um, for Commander, one of the Commander precon, um, the, the first Commander precon release. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of has a similar feel, um, where you get to exile two different creatures, and you like get the uh, the power and the effect of one, and the toughness of the other, or something like that. Um, let's see, the, uh Mimeoplasm. Says as it enters the battlefield, you may exile two creature cards from Graveyards. If you do, it, uh, it enters the battlefield as a copy of one of those, with a number of additional plus one plus one counters equal to the power of the second. Mm. So it's kind of like you get to sort of build, you know, like like similarly make your own yeah. monster or make your own ooze, I guess. If you add two creatures, mm. so kind of interesting. I, I I'm actually kind of curious i'm very excited to see what they do with that kind of mechanic if that's what they're kind of exploring for Ikoria, that'll be actually really cool i think
0: what if they also somehow managed to bring in the meld, or what's what was it called what was the mechanic of unstable called where you could join two cards together do you ever play any unstable oh
1: i i i had some unstable in my in like a chaos draft that i did at pax east but i never really i never drafted um, just the set on its own, but yeah, I know what you're. But I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be an interesting way to do it, like putting stacking the cards next to each other.
0: Exactly, we had a version of that. I guess over Shadows over Innistrad, where you could meld. Maybe that's the keyword that I'm thinking of. But on yeah. Shadows, you could take, you know, what was it like Brunhild and someone else, and make some huge, horrible Eldrazi angel thing out of two cards. So maybe we'll get right. something like that. Um, for Ikoria.
1: yeah, Meld was the Meld was the mechanic from uh, from Shadows over in Australia. Yeah, okay, yeah, it, that was, it was
0: Augment. That's it. Augment was the one oh, in yeah. Unstable. Okay. So many names.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, actually, so I, I wanted to get your thought on on this. I don't know if you had actually seen this um, at all from a ther- from Theros um, specifically, um, but there's a card in Theros that's called um, Elspeth's Nightmare. Is uh, one of the sagas um, that has come back.
0: I saw the artwork for it, and I know I've I've had, and I know I've read the the um, the chapters in it. But yeah, I'm gonna pull it up again here. So three mana, destroy target creature and opponent controls with power two or less. Okay, that that could be pretty relevant. There's a lot of Small creatures out there that do big things. Chapter two target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non creature, non land that player discards. Okay, so I always love, you know, discard effects and looking at the opponent's hand effect. And then third, exile target opponent's graveyard. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of graveyard shenanigans in this deck with escape mechanic and so forth. So, Mm -hmm. an uncommon saga to eventually, you know, three turns later, deal with someone's graveyard that's getting larger and larger. I think it does a lot of interesting things. Probably the third one might be the most relevant, just because there's going to be a lot of graveyard stuff happening.
1: Yeah, definitely. But look at look at the artwork on this card. Um,
0: it looks like a bas relief. I think that's the official art term: bas bas relief. Uh, when you have like a sculpture coming out from a surface, that's cool.
1: Right. Yeah, but look at the substance of the card. So, do you know what that thing is at the top?
0: I think it's related to something with uh, E-Core, or I-Core, or something like that.
1: Yeah, so that, that there's no ex- specific confirmation, but that is almost identical to what uh, a Phyrexian obliterator
0: oh, looks like. Oh, okay, yeah.
1: From from the um, new Phyrexia set.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's
1: very interesting that they brought the Phyrexian, they put a Phyrexian piece of art on something in Theros, I'm very, very curious as to where this is if this is going anywhere um, or what's to kind of come from this because Elspeth um, Elspeth was on the origin on Meriden during um, uh, Mirrodin besieged Meriden besieged and um, I can't remember the name of the first set. Why can't I remember the name of the first set? New Frexia, Meridan, besiege, and um,
0: Scars of Meriden.
1: Scars of Meriden, Yes, there we go. So she was in that set. Um So it's very interesting to see. I'm, I'm curious as to what they're going to do with that. If they, if, if anything, um, I mean, they could just be uh, an interesting piece just to kind of tie this the the link of Elspeth together from plane to plane, Mm. Um, but I think it'd be really cool if they did something with this to kind of, because that's another place that we haven't gone back to in a while yet is, um, is Mirrodin and for Phyrexia now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it'd be very interesting to see what they do here, but well, now that
0: you mention it, this new staff that she's holding, um, in her Elspeth's son's nemesis card that that staff is black and let me see where is it at? Because I think that's that's even sort of like got a dripping effect. Wouldn't that be that Phyrexian oil? Yeah, if you look at Elspeth's son's nemesis, she's got that spear, that spear, and it's dripping.
1: Yeah, actually that's actually a card. Um The uh the, the spear is actually um uh, one of the cards I It was recently spoiled.
0: Let me see if I can find Would it be a legendary artifact, maybe? Are they doing it as a colored artifact? Oh, yeah, there it is. It's Shadow Spear. Yes, Shadow Shadow Spear. Spear. One mana, legendary artifact. Equipped creature gets plus one and has trample and lifelink. Pay one, permanence your opponent's control, lose hexproof and indestructible, and then equip for two. Oh, it's interesting. You get at least a plus one, plus one, trample lifelink, and shuts off hexproof. And in that one, it is a pretty cool-looking spear, and it's dripping with something. That now that you yeah. mentioned the the saga and that possible Phyrexian obliterator, and this possibly having Phyrexian oil on it, hmm, are we connecting the dots?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Like I was uh, watching a, a, a Nox, Noxus video earlier, and he was kind of talking about this, and it was like. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, and I had seen, I saw the Shadow Spear card kind of before I saw the video, and I didn't even think about the Elspeth's Night, like the, the Obliterator in Elspeth's Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely something where, like that would be very, very cool, because also, too, kind of back in Mirrodin, Scars of Mirrodin, and Meriden Besiege, and New Phyrexia, um, I was also playing a lot of competitive magic at that time, too. Like, that whole um, span of, like, two, year, two to three years between like, Scars of Meriden, all the way through, uh, probably all the way through Theros, really. Um, like, like the end of Theros, um, I was playing a lot of competitive magic at the time. Um, I kind of stopped when Khans of Tarkir came out, uh, -hmm. like, that whole block, but, Mm -hmm. like, kind of up till then, I was playing a lot of competitive magic, so, like, all of that stuff was was like super, super impressionable on me as a player. And super um, so like seeing some of these cool connections kind of come back is super nostalgic and very, very cool.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so we've got a lot on the horizon to look out for. And maybe there's even like a stealth Modern Horizons coming at some other point, Modern Horizons 2. Um, so I think the, the game plan for 2020 has been laid out pretty well, but you never know, there could be surprise stuff. Uh, so the future looks pretty good for Magic. Um, tying a bow on 2019, is there any card that you might be able to, to pick out that you really enjoyed playing, either for power level or for lore or art or anything at all? Um, I think probably... Yeah,
1: that's, a, that's a really, really tough question because there's so many good cards that came out Um, I think that probably my one, I think probably, so it it comes down between two cards that kind of go hand in hand, Um, Golos being one of them and Field of the Dead being the other, Um, just because that was a deck that I played a ton of during the, when they were both legal and standard or when Field of the Dead was legal and standard. Mm -hmm. Um, So I played a ton of that deck and it was super fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I play both of them in my commander deck, um, for Golos and field of the dead just kind of enables me to do it, to get, it enables me to get away with some very ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, obviously Golos being able to put things, uh, very powerful cards from my deck into play onto the stack, uh, or let me, there, lets me cast them for free. Yeah, definitely. My. My my favorite cards by by far I mean like my golos deck right now is um, like I mentioned is kind of plays to the top of the library and so uh, I play cards like mind's dilation and um I used to play gate to the Aether I used to play um, or I play uh, omniscience I play Omminasu mm-hmm. to set the top of the deck up I play brainstorm yeah. um, I play warp world being kind mm-hmm. of the ultimate the, the ultimate card um you know getting to basically redeal a a random new board state um definitely is one of the things that i i love the most about my uh my deck so that's yeah those are probably my two favorite cards released this year
0: it sounds like the the red part of the color pie with the chaos aspect really appeals to you Mm -hmm. oh yeah very much so (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah warp world definitely as soon as you said that 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 stands out. Yeah, Warp World. I mean, as much as I like, I love the card.
1: Whenever I play the card, I feel bad for playing it because <laughs> I, I think. I, and initially, when I started to play with the card, like it took way too long. It took us probably a half an hour to put all the triggers on the stack and resolve all the triggers. Uh, thankfully, now my play group, we kind of come to expect that it's going to happen, and so they've gotten. A lot better at uh we've gotten <laughs> a lot faster at putting our triggers on the stack and, and figuring out exactly okay what do we want to have all of our effects essentially do um on the stack and so my deck once it once it puts everything onto the stack it, it can essentially win off of drawing cards from tatiova and making ele- elementals from omnath and triggering risen reef to put more cards on mm-hmm. the deck and then basically drawing my whole deck and then winning with uh laboratory maniac no, so, okay. yeah, it's kind of it's a, it's an interesting way to win for sure. But I, I usually when I get to Warp World, I probably have twice as many permanents in play as as pretty much any other play at the table, just because of Field of the Dead putting so many zombies yeah. into play. So getting all of those triggers uh, or getting all those all those counted as uh, as cards going into the deck, quote unquote, for Warp World, yeah, it just basically puts it over the top
0: so in that paper commander deck warp world uh which printing do you have it looks like there's three of them from original ravnica 10th edition and magic 2010 oh it looks like they haven't printed a copy of that in 10 years just because it's too warping
1: oh yeah i can't imagine what uh what that would do in a standard format nowadays well
0: not even in a commander product
1: oh yeah no i i think it's one of the most hated cards in all of commander by by far yeah. Um I think I have the M ten. Uh yeah, I have the M ten from printing, but I have a I have a foil copy of it. because uh, mm. it's it is it is my favorite card of all time.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty cool. Um
1: actually and, and actually thinking about it now, um actually combing through this through the deck a little bit trying to find my warp world, there was actually two more cards that kind of fit in alongside the like the Golos and the uh Field of the Dead. Uh, favorite for favorite cards um, uh, smothering tithe oh, uh, yeah. being, uh, being one and then uh, fires of invention
0: uh, mm-hmm.
1: is the other being able to gain incredible value at the at a reasonable cost um, it well, just fires like...
0: especially. That's just what is that, four mana? And then after that, more yeah. lands that you have, the more free cards you can play. Although you're limited to two port per turn, but people can do some really explosive things when they've got oh, yeah. the right cards in hand, and yeah, I've got four mana, probably five mana, probably six mana, and here here's all my best cards for free.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, like I was playing I played Just Guy Fires in Standard, um, and in Historic, actually. And it's uh and it's really, really powerful, and I have and it's kind of a non-bow with, um, with Golos because if you hit three spells with Golos' ability, you can only cast two of them for free. But it's uh, it's still good enough to get you to be able to ramp out some incredibly powerful spells. Like, it works kind of really well with the rest of the deck. Mm. Um, but yeah, so like having that, it com- it almost feels like um, kind of like a scaled-back Omniscience, if you will. Mm, and sure. Omniscience is, is an incredibly powerful card that I love that was in Core 2019, and I'm very happy that um that they repented that because that made it a little bit cheaper for me to to buy for my goal stack yeah. um but yeah just kind of like the same like the, that power level f- um feel of being able to play cards for free uh at, at kind of a in this case and having a, a small slight drawback to that but being able to do some very powerful explosive turns you wouldn't normally be able to get to do um because of mana restrictions so mm-hmm. yeah those two definitely definitely fit in there
0: well, as for myself, a favorite of 2019, uh, I'm actually going to cheat. So I'm going to send you uh, my link for my favorite. And it's not one card. It's a set of cards. And it's not just because of what the card is, but it's because of the art. So I'm picking oh. all of the all of the cards that Seb McKinnon uh, created. So there's some really good yes. ones, you know, assassin's trophy and all of that. Actually, that was 2018. Okay. There was bedevil and so forth, death sprout, but I'm picking it. Uh, I'm picking this. I'm making this, my pick mostly for the arts, but also there's some good cards in there. And just, that's one of these artists that is sort of like not going in like the, the current style of real, realism which of course is a great Uh style but he definitely when i see art that looks a little bit different a little bit off of the current sort of like model off model of the current art i'm like is that a sub mckinnon piece because often often they are
1: yeah Seb mckinnon has become my favorite artist in magic by a long shot like he, he has done some incredible pieces of artwork over the years um and i think my favorite piece of art that he's done has to be um deliver unto evil it is such a such a cool looking piece of art um and i've seen some playmats of and stuff of it i'm ideally i'd like to find either an artist print um or uh like an artist print for the card or a an actual like printed piece for like a printed art piece to
0: play yeah yeah that one is just deliver us on to deliver onto evil yeah that's just so evocative Uh, you you have this you know powerful nickel bolus just dominating the gatewatch and they're all like subservient basically and with like some sort of black mm-hmm. hole effect and such. So uh, like Blood for Bones, that one's also pretty epic. It's all of these skeletons reaching out to you and it's like there's a sense of um, dread and like violence and uh, the, the color palette in that is pretty amazing. So yeah. Agonizing Siphon, even though, okay, well, it's deal three damage, gain three life. It's a more overcasted uh, kind of effect from from before, but just from the art of that, this guy totally being in agony is all of his energy is being rendered out in its purple um, tones and all of that.
1: And bankrupt in blood is just such an inc- so that's crazy that like that that art is on a magic card, but that card that the art on that seeing like the the coins kind of come out of the body and yeah. stuff into the coin.
0: Mm-hmm. Man,
1: that's that's so, so like he has such a such a unique way to depict words because I think when they when they go through this this process when they are told like what art to make they're literally just told the name of the card and what it does and the wizards kind of lets them do their art and kind of they have to interpret the name of the card and the effect um, a- into the art and so I like his his interpretations are probably. I, I don't know that they are matched by anybody mm-hmm. uh, just from what he's able to pull out of the back of his mind for some of these cards is incredible.
0: Yeah. Do you know if he does it digitally or with real, with real material, but either way that he does it, it, it really is uh, very memorable, uh, very unique art. Um, so didn't he also have like a key piece of art with Eldrain, like one of the reveals of some of the art? He's there's like a yes. knight. That's being. Yeah, a knight
1: with the planeswalker symbol. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. On it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that that one was yeah that was a really really stellar piece of art. Um, really really cool. It, I can't entirely tell if he's doing actual. I, I assume he he's doing actual medium because I'm looking on his website and seeing some of the some of the works that he's doing and uh, these look like they have to be physical like like uh pastels or something Mm -hmm.
0: um yeah definitely as you said that magic has these artists and then they give them these guidelines to create things that fit within the world of magic uh, there is a famous card from, from the old days where the uh, artist uh, completely misinterpreted what they wanted. Uh, so let me just send this one to you. This one is an old card called Hyalopterus lemur. Now, the problem with this is that it's a... Oh, yeah, uh,
1: it's pronounced different.
0: Well, the thing is it's a different thing. There's lem- I guess lemur and lemur or whatever yeah. and so yeah it's supposed to be a ghost with these ethereal wings but the person thought yeah lemur like the little the little critter and so it, yeah nowadays <laughs> you you wouldn't quite get th- that little mistake wouldn't quite happen but it'd be fun if it did but the evolution of bers magic yeah. and magic art and everything is just profound
1: oh yeah definitely there's so much more uh i don't know so much more what feels like detail and, and whatnot i think that i mean i think obviously like the arts of the past are influential to the arts of the of, of our present day so you know without without that art we wouldn't you know have any of these really cool cool pieces but you can you can definitely tell that the, the art has definitely gotten uh leveled up a bit over the years yeah
0: well, as we go to our final topic, I think uh, it's time for you to do a big reveal to the audience.
1: Yes, yeah, so very, very excited and very um, thankful and honored to be doing this. I was invited, uh, or I, rather, I guess I should say, I was accepted uh, by Wizards of the Coast for uh, to be a. Featured content creator for them for this week. So they do, or not this week, but they do uh, a a weekly um, uh, a weekly showcase of content creators in the Magic community. And so what they do is they uh, for the entire week uh, of whatever week that the the, the person is featured, they um, are promoted by Wizards of the Coast on all their social media channels. And then one day out of that week. Uh, the content creator is, uh, is streaming, and Wizards directs all traffic and, and promotes specifically that person mm-hmm. on that day and, and sends all the traffic to that particular content creator. So I've been uh, you know accepted as one of these content creators, thankfully, um, and you know I'm super excited about it. So my feature week is going to be the week of the 20th. So when this comes out, um, it will be next week, starting mm-hmm. on Monday, uh, is the week that I, am be feature- I will be featured. And then Friday, the 24th, drain Eldre- or sorry, not drain, Theros Beyond Death paper release. That's going to be my feature day. So mm-hmm. um, if anybody uh, wants to come and support uh, me and my stream, uh, that will be, I mean, I'm going to be streaming all week pretty much. Uh, so you know, feel free to stop by, but so- Friday is the feature day. That's the big day. So um, I will be streaming all day on that day, uh, starting fairly early in the morning. Uh, going as late as i possibly can go uh and we will be doing some really cool stuff playing with some eldraine uh or an Eldrain. gosh i can't get eldraine <laughs> out of my head yeah playing with some theros cards and uh and um uh, you know brewing some sweet decks with standard we've we would have had about a week or so uh, of theros being in the format so we not a whole ton of time to uh some testing in so we're gonna Mm -hmm. definitely be in the brewing stages of the game still so uh very excited to do that so um again for that big thank you to wizards for accepting me into the program i'm very very excited and very honored to uh to be a part of the program um and vm thank you so much for for letting me kind of you know spiel this and promote this
0: no problem. I think it's great to help each other out in the community. I think magic is one of the best communities. So I was happy to to have you talk about that. And congratulations on that. It's really cool that, that you were selected and And, you know, pulling back the curtain again, you know, there's a lot of curtains in this podcast. Um, (laughs) We had talked about this a little while ago. We obviously couldn't reveal anything because of NDAs, you know, non-disclosure agreements and such. And uh, we honor those things, of course. So thanks, Wizards, for reaching out to content creators and uh, doing cool things with them. So, yeah, congrats, the 20th. So everyone wants to go check out, uh, everyone should go check out Alan's streams, uh, specifically the 24th, but all, all week long. That on the 20th and you're going to be on the wizard's website and have you already given them your your headshot and, and such
1: uh yeah i yeah i gave them i gave them my picture and everything like that the picture i used was actually the picture that i sent you for the uh for the recap for mm, okay. uh, 2019 which that picture has a really awesome story uh kind of to go with that as well like i was at pax um, Pax East, uh, for work, actually, I was on a panel about college esports, mm-hmm. and I that was during the uh, that was actually the first Mythic Invitational, um, event was Pax East, oh. uh, the, uh, in 2019. And mm-hmm. during that event, uh, a couple cool things I got to meet Day Nine, which he has mm-hmm. been a longtime, uh, esports kind of like idol and, and yeah. uh, role model for me, uh, going back all the way to the StarCraft and StarCraft 2 days. Um, So I got to meet him and talk with him for a few minutes, which was incredibly awesome. Um, And then I also got to meet uh, Michelle, who from uh, the Wizards community team, uh, and she's a community manager. And I, you know, I I met her, I saw her, she was talking to um, Graham for Loading Ready Run. (laughs) uh, And I just kind of walked up to her, I waited for her to finish talking um, to Graham, and then I just introduced myself and I wanted to thank her for all the cool things that she's done and gotten, you know, given me the opportunity to do over the year. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, thank her for all her hard work. Cause I, I'm sure that it, you know, it isn't easy managing a bunch of, yeah. uh, a bunch of us. So yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, thanked her for that. Um, and she actually invited me to attend the wizards of the coast magic arena, uh, VIP after party oh. that night. Um, and, you know, which was, uh, it was essentially all community, like, uh, community members, MPL members, um, the casters and stuff. Uh, and, and the community members and staff, uh, and so it was a, it was a really cool experience. Um, I got to meet some really cool people uh, during that event, and it was it was just it was I got that picture from that event. It was uh, part of the package uh, or part of the the thing you got that for free um, for being at the event, and so that was kind of the the cool. That's a cool story behind that picture, but mm-hmm. it was such an awesome <clears throat> experience to be able to go to that after party and kind of be a part of uh or be in the same room and, and kind of relaxing as some of uh, of the great magic minds of uh, of our time and yeah uh, yeah just it was it was a it was an overwhelming experience to say the least
0: mm-hmm. and then to to cap it this year you're being you're being featured as a streamer and then we've got most well we've got the the theros uh early access event and uh, who knows what the future holds and Again, congrats to you on that, and I'm sure you'll just keep moving on up in in this whole world of esports and magic and all this cool stuff.
1: Yeah, thanks, man. I I hope so too. I mean, I'm very uh, very excited for what the future brings, and obviously, like you said, the community is one of the best things about the about Magic and and doing all this. And so, um, you know, I hope that uh, we all can do this together, and and we can all become uh, great successes in our in mm-hmm. our own right, and having you know having a great part in this community together.
0: Well, great. Um, I will definitely be setting my my uh, notification and my alarm to go check you out on that day. Uh, it's kind of a really cool thing. Um, I had one in uh, August of 2019 and it was really cool to be streaming and then suddenly whoa I got like 200 people or whatever hundreds of people suddenly show up on the stream and interacting with people Um, and it was really cool so uh, yeah you can look forward to that and just getting a little bit of a bump of things and just people coming and hanging out and wishing you well to see someone doing uh, a great job in magic.
1: Cool yeah I'm very excited about it.
0: Well as we as we wrap things up, let's uh, hear one more time those uh, those social media links, uh, specifically the stream of course.
1: Yep, yeah, so uh, the stream is uh, twitch.tv slash jugosy mtg. That's D-R-A-G-O-S-I-M-T-G. Uh, youtube.com slash Facebook, same thing. Uh, and then the Twitter is at esportsallen. That's E-S-P-O-R-T-S-A-L-A-L.
0: Great. I'm also on those various platforms. I'm pretty much VM compos all over the place. Twitter, um, Twitch, Patreon, etc. The only snag is over on YouTube. I had to go with VM Compost Jr. Um, so just tack that on there. But uh, I'm also found on various places. I stream on Saturdays, 11 p.m. Pacific time. And you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm, I'm uh, Instagramming at the moment all about this rare phenomenon known as rain in San Diego. So you'll be able to yeah. catch up with that. We, uh, we don't get snow here. We get rain. So we're in the rainy season.
1: Ah, uh, Yeah, I, I, uh, I love California weather. To be entirely honest uh <laughs> mm-hmm. more than chicago weather because that's oh, where i'm at right sure. now. We're, mm-hmm. we're about to get uh we're about to get dropped on uh, about 10 inches of snow oh, so wow. yeah i am definitely missing uh san diego la weather
0: mm-hmm. well i definitely like snow in concept but maybe not to live with 10 inches <laughs> Well Alan, thank you one more time for being on the podcast. Hope to have you again. Uh, maybe if you you know if you're not too much of a big star, maybe hope to have you again on the podcast in the future.
1: I would I would love to come back again. It's been great. It's always great to talk with you about magic and uh, and getting your perspective on things.
0: It's always fun. Thank you. This has been VM Campos and I'll see you in the arena.